1: to help resolve their ED, we are here on the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast, bringing you another episode. We are joined once again by Doctor Josh Shamel. Doctor Shamel is a medical student at Albany. He is in his third year residency for urology. Uh, we're glad to have you back, Doctor Shamel, uh, joining us on uh, this week's episode. Uh, Today, what we want to talk about is hard flaccid syndrome. We want to get a better understanding of that, how it impacts um, erections and sexual function. So, Dr. Shamble, if it's okay with you, um, can you give our listeners an overview of what hard flaccid syndrome is and how it manifests?
0: Absolutely. So, um, the big thing about hard flaccid syndrome is it's still not fully understood, um, but there's been a good amount of research coming out, especially in places such as Europe and South America. Um, but for the most part in the literature, it's been predominantly case reports. Um, but there are several hallmarks of the disease. It's namely you have a semi-rigid penis um, that exists while the, the man is in the flaccid state. There is a loss of erectile rigidity, erectile dysfunction. There's some penile sensory changes. This may also be attributed with pelvic floor dysfunction and mostly psychological distress. And it predominantly affects men around their second or third decade of life. Um, But what we've found, at least from the case reports, is, is that it's associated with some significant trauma or at least microtrauma to the penis most often located at the penile base. And that can be done from a number of things. Um, Gentlemen using penile pumps, vacuum devices, um, vigorous sexual intercourse or vigorous masturbation can play a role. Um, I was seeing in some of the literature, even excessive squatting with weights can cause this and something called jelking or penile stretching to hopefully gain some length can also cause a little bit of this micro trauma that can bring this about for our patients.
1: Okay. So there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm just going to slow things down. If sure. we could just get a better understanding when you, when you mentioned that it could be semi rigid and flaccid, but also a loss of rigidity, I assume went hard. So yes. can we just kind of tease that out a little bit more? Like what, what does that look like? Does it look at like the penis is in, in the same state, whether, whether uh, the person's in a state of arousal or not? In other words, like how does this exactly work? Yeah. So um,
0: it may be a little bit more Visible in people who are growers and not showers. Um, But essentially, the penis is consistently engorged, even with uh, a loss of when you're not fully having an erection where it's rigid enough to be able to uh, sustain penetration, things like that. The penis is larger than it normally would be in these individuals. And so that's kind of what we mean by that semi rigid penis um, in the flaccid state.
1: Okay. So it's hard, meaning it's semi rigid or semi hard when flaccid. Mm -hmm. And when a man is in a state of arousal that generally would lead to an erection. Um, Is somebody with hard flaccid syndrome generally struggling to gain and maintain an erection?
0: Yes. Um, And so these these individuals, while they are semi-rigid and they have some rigidity to the penis itself, um, you've ultimately damaged the neurovascular structures. And so uh, you have even though you may have some rigidity, that's really because there's a backflow of the venous outflow. So you're having an obstruction that's keeping some blood present within the penis, but you've also caused some damage to the muscles and the nerves that would allow you to get a full erection. And so these gentlemen may be able to get an erection, but from what the case reports and all the research is showing, you are having to go to excessive levels of visual and physical stimulation in order to get back to where you were before.
1: Okay, outside of um, this experience in the penis, are there any other symptoms that are associated with hard flaccid syndrome? Are there any other um, conditions or uh, predispositions that we are aware of that could lead to or be an indicator of hard flaccid syndrome?
0: So there are some differential diagnoses. Patients who have um, non-ischemic priapism can show up similar to the, lead to this. There was also some research suggesting like a partial thrombosis of the cavernosa, which are very rare within neurology. Um, but for the most part, this is really just any men who are partaking, and it seems to be particular biggest, particularly vigorous sexual activity or masturbation seems to be the most common cause. Um, And there are some additional things that you can have in these patients. Namely, you're getting these changes in penile sensation. So from what I can tell, most men are able to have some form of feeling like their penis is numb or if their penis is cold. They may have some decreased sensitivity to the penis, especially around the head of the penis or the glands area. Um, And then uh, they also may have some penile and perineal pain this may cause some pain with urination or ejaculation. And it seems to be that this pain may also be worsened by standing up.
1: Yeah, so so would you say that hard flaccid is either some manifestation of or somewhere on the spectrum of like penile fracture or like potentially somehow connected to Peyronie's disease, um, whereby these micro traumas or, or an actual fracture um, is what causes the injury. Is, is hard flaccid like a potential outgrowth of like Peronis or, or microfractures?
0: It doesn't seem like that, um, especially for any physicians who might be watching this. Usually the history is indicative of the injury to the patient that will normally have a normal physical exam, whereas some of these other um, conditions such as Peronis disease, you'll have a plaque that you can usually feel. Uh, a fracture, you'll usually have that eggplant sign, the significant bruising. Those can also show up on imaging. But for the most part with hard flaccid syndrome, imaging studies, laboratory tests are all predominantly normal. And so the reigning theory is that these—it's there's been a stretch or a compression to these neurovascular structures, especially around the base of the penis, that is causing this. But So it is a bit of a different um, etiology compared to some of those other conditions.
1: Okay. Now you mentioned before, there's a uh, psychological distress. We know also that there could be a psychological component to uh, many of these, um, you know, sexual function conditions. If this is something that does not show up on imaging, is it is it sometimes possible that this is caused by psychological distress or does this have a physiological etiology that's just not, Easily identifiable on imaging, but based on patient report, you could identify um, that this is a physiological issue.
0: So a lot of this research is still being done on the etiology of this disease. But from what I was able to tell, I mean, the penis is a very psychological organ to start with. And so you have this inciting event of this trauma. You have this difficulty with getting erections where you didn't have before because these are predominantly pretty young men um there's worry about you know erections i'm assuming they're also worrying about like you know pleasing a partner future fertility so there's a host of psychological issues and that can also be compounded with this perineal or penile pain that they might be experiencing as well and so from everything i've seen there is a pretty significant psychological component even with the um the physical possible compression of the nerves and whatnot
1: so, so, with that, um, are there specific diagnostic criteria for HFS?
0: Not really. You're mostly following these men predominantly through the, the SHIM or the IIEF score um, that allows them to grade their, you know, the rigidity of their penis, their satisfaction in being able to get and maintain erection completely through intercourse.
1: Okay, so kind of going, circling back around to um, risk factors, is, there a progression of hard flaccid syndrome that a man needs to be concerned about, or is this like, considered to be like a, you know, either you have it or you don't, and it's a non-progressive condition?
0: Some of the case studies uh, within the literature have showed that some in some men, this can be a pretty rapid uh, progression from the, the initial injury to kind of the presentation of the predominant symptoms of the disease. Um, Some, this seems to range from about weeks to maybe a couple of months is usually when this would show up.
1: And does it progress once it's identified and diagnosed, does it progress further with continued rigorous sexual activity or is it like once once you have it, you have it and then you got to just cope with it, but it, it shouldn't get worse over the course of time and continued sexual activity? It seems to be, at
0: least from what I read, that once you have it, you seem to just have it. It doesn't seem to escalate, um, and symptoms may wax and wane a little bit, kind of depending on how far they are out and whatnot, but it seems to be pretty consistent throughout the progression.
1: In any of the cases that you've seen of hard flaccid syndrome, can you just describe to our listeners a little bit about the uh, distress that uh, this may cause to, to a person?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, this can cause anywhere from significant anxiety, depression. There's obviously uh, a loss of libido. Um, some of these patients are having pretty consistent pain, so that is going to impact kind of their day-to-day life. I mean, with a lot of these patients, there's an impact on their relationship status, you know, especially not with these men, but especially with kind of the older gentlemen who have erectile dysfunction. They say that sometimes, cause of uh, fixing that has saved their relationship. So these men may be experiencing a lot of relationship turmoil because of this.
1: Okay, so a man is diagnosed with a uh, hard flaccid syndrome, let's say in his late 20s. What does management and treatment of hard flaccid syndrome look like currently?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what would probably happen is he would end up getting referred to a urologist predominantly because of his erectile dysfunction. Um, urologists would kind of get the history of how did this, you know, when did this start? What other symptoms are you having? Would do a physical exam. One of the things that you can see on a physical exam is that if you are able to induce an erection in the patient, or at least attempt to by use of trimix injections, things like that, they won't be able to get fully erect, but you will still see that engorgement of the penis itself. They may be, they may do some additional imaging studies. I know we're pretty, uh, fond of you know, using penile Dopplers, things like that. But predominantly, those tend to come back relatively normal. You could even possibly do an MRI to look for a source of a penile fracture. But again, it would probably come back normal. And
1: okay, so... You, Dr. Shem, can I just slow you down there for a moment? So yeah. the, the penile Doppler is meant to track the blood flow in and out of the penis. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Can you help myself and subsequently the listeners understand... Why is everything looking normal on the doppler but the like what's the explanation that the, the the blood flow in seems to be normal blood flow out seems to be normal but the penis is not becoming engorged like a, like a like a standard healthy erection I
0: don't know if we fully figured that out yet I think that's one of the things they're still doing research on, especially, I mean, most of this research has come out within the past three years. And again, it's been predominantly case reports. So there is a lot more research that's needed in order to fully kind of understand why things are happening the way they are.
1: Okay, I can definitely appreciate that, that there's not, it's not a fully understood condition. Um, yeah. And we don't have all the answers, but you're saying the, the imaging that we standardly use in uh, diagnostics uh, for erection issues appears normal, even though it identifiably, or in, in actuality, we know that there's something going on here that is not um, allowing an erection to occur.
0: Absolutely. And that's one of the things I think that can be very frustrating for patients is, where you know, the patient themselves knows that something's wrong here. I'm unable to get an erection. I'm having this pretty significant pain, yet everything is coming back normal. And so that as we were just talking about kind of the psychological distress that can even add to that.
1: I can only imagine. So I'll come back to treatment in a couple of moments. Now I know from the work that I do, um, you know, it it happens, you know, fairly often that um, it's difficult to, to discern whether something is psychological um, or primarily psychological or physiological. And I, I will encourage men to go for a Doppler. Um, with Trimex, because generally speaking, that really can like help kind of rule that out. um, That usually if you can create or facilitate an erection in the office, it generally indicates there's not a major biological issue going on at the very least. And it gives me a little bit more comfort as a provider on the psychological side, that there's a high probability that there's a psychogenic driver here that would be significant. If... Trimex is not a solution. Does that indicate that this does not have a strong or as strong of a psychological ideology? That there's something physiological going on here because we cannot kind of override that psychological component by inducing an erection with Trimex in the office?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it's you've you've stressed out the muscles, you've stressed out the nerves, and so that. That is definitely going to cause, you know, that's part of your cause right there, <laughs> is that it is not entirely psychological. There is a physical component there as well that's causing some of that issues.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there, there is like an identifiable physical element going on here. We may not be able to see it on a imaging or a screening um, currently, um, but this is not something which would have a purely psychogenic etiology. Mm-hmm. There's a physical component to this without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. So kind of coming back to the treatment. So if trimex is not it, where where does that leave a patient?
0: So um it seems that treatment is predominantly, you know, very multimodal. So you're you're approaching it from multiple different angles. Um, so from the biological per- perspective, these guys are having a lot of pelvic floor muscle spasms. That's causing some, you know, miscommunications between the, you know, the spine and the penis. And so one of the things that we'll send patients for is pelvic floor physical therapy to make sure they're getting stretches, they're hitting trigger points, things like that, that can kind of address some of those. Trimix is, you know, if some, type, some patients it works, some patients it doesn't, we would probably put them on Viagra, Sildenafil to kind of give them the best possible shot at being able to get an erection. Um, and then pain control, um, at least from the biological standpoint, Tylenol, ibuprofen, things like that then kind of turning to the, kind of the, psych, the psychosocial aspects, um, talking to them about relationship advice, coping strategies. Um, there was even some literature that uh, was talking about kind of graded exposure, kind of scaled activity with regards to kind of work, social life, sexual activity, things like that. And then lastly, some psychosocial, such as uh, breathing exercises, some bladder training, especially if they are having some of the urinary symptoms of, you know, pain with micturition. Maybe they are having some difficulty feeling like they're emptying their bladder. And then I was even seeing some things about uh, ergonomics, seeing if you know, helping them when they're in posture day to day, when they're sitting at work, things like that can also play a role in helping them regain some of that erectile function.
1: Okay, so each each of these avenues you're saying was was at least a recommended yeah. exploration that. Um, could have an impact to some degree um, for improvement uh, but again multi very 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 much multifactorial it's not it's not like there's a singular treatment modality here that seems to lead to rehabilitation or regaining full function like things were no
0: and that's I think a lot of that is partially just because this the process of the disease is still not fully understood I think as we do more research on this and we're able to kind of really Dive into that. Why does this occur? And why are we having, like you said, some of those normal imaging findings, things like that? It may allow us in the future to kind of target things a little bit better so we can scale down on the sheer amount of treatment that we're giving a patient. But I don't think that's where we're at right now.
1: Now, I'm sure many of our listeners who are in this age category or bracket that do not have hard flaccid syndrome are going to be very interested to know if there are any recommended techniques or approaches to prevent. Um, the onset of hard flaccid syndrome. My
0: big thing, and I tell this to a lot of my patients who come in for penile fractures and the like, is just be careful <laughs> that a lot of this is due to very vigorous sexual activity, very vigorous masturbation. And so as weird as it sounds, you got to know your own body's limitations with some of this stuff.
1: Okay. In other words, like as much as we you know try to encourage people to engage in you know sexual activity that they, they find pleasurable... Um, that they find pleasurable with a partner. There, There is a, a space here to be cautious that like any other muscle in the body, like any other body part, um, overexertion can you know, have you know, negative impact um, and negative effects. So people have to find the right balance uh, between not overexerting, but also being able to engage in you know, pleasurable sex.
0: Absolutely. Sex is... Uh almost at core is exercise and so you know you wouldn't do things that you know in the weight room and stuff that you weren't feeling comfortable with and you knew that your body wasn't going to be able to do and so it's you know one of the things that you have to do is figure out what is kind of you know that balance between pleasure and your body's ability to kind of produce
1: Okay. Is there anything else about hard flaccid syndrome that we did not cover here that'd be important for our listeners to know? I mean, I know that this is, again, it sounds like it's much more of an emerging area of, of awareness for urology, also for, for patients. So I recognize that we don't know everything and this might, this might sound very different in five years from now, but based on what we currently know, is there anything else that would be important for our listeners to know about hard flaccid syndrome?
0: So it can be a bit of a slow onset, like we talked about, but it is kind of very patient dependent. And a lot of this comes back to just people are built differently. And so recovery time when kind of starting multimodal treatment, again, the literature is showing that you know a realistic time frame is maybe about three months to where patients start to see improvement in their IIEF scores and their just overall quality of life satisfaction. But it is still extremely variable. There were some cases where Guys felt like with the multimodal treatment, they were able to get back to 100% of where they were. There were other individuals with similar presentations who felt like, you know, they were still requiring additional medication or that there was always something that they feel like they had lost in quotation marks. So it's important that urology, you know, that they come and see a urologist and get connected with us because, you know, we can help refer to kind of some of the other pelvic floor PT site, things like that. But at the end of the day, it sounds like based on the literature, they're still needing pretty significant treatment for some of this from a urological perspective. And that's who they would get connected with us later down the line anyways for the erectile dysfunction.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it sounds like this is going to be an evolving area of study, and area of interest. I don't know what the prevalency is, but I'm also not going to put you on the spot about that because I recognize with an emerging Um, awareness around this condition, those numbers likely will rise as awareness goes up about hard flaccid syndrome. I recognize that it is distressing enough that many men will end up at a urologist, but I also recognize that a lot of that stuff may fall between the cracks, certainly when it comes to just like reporting and diagnostics and whatnot, and this might look very different down the road. Um, So I, I, you know, recognize the prevalency may be something which increases. Dr. Shamal, I really, really appreciate you joining us for this episode. Um, it's been very informative for myself. Um, it's good for me to have that awareness when people come in describing things that, that do sound somewhat similar to this um, and being able to get them the appropriate referrals. So thank you very much for your time.
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.